Do you want to go straight in with the intro, or do you think the world's too right-wing for you to do the intro anymore? <laughs> I've had a request for all five, but we don't all know them, so the first and the last verses are the red flag. <laughs> Hello and welcome to That Option No Longer Exists. The renewed... It really doesn't anymore, does it? <laughs> the renewed battle between the left and right of the left. Uh, I'm John Bounds, feeling a little bit ill. Um, and with me, as always, Adam Juniper, who I don't know whether you're feeling down or up or robust or... Um... I, I Obviously, I always hate being right. Uh, <laughs> so to speak, um, and and I was wrong because I said the Tories would only win by a thirty-seat majority. So what do I know? Well, nobody as uh, nobody knows anything, um, apart from uh, lots of people who uh, do um, opinion polls. Apparently, uh, yeah. Turns out they were well. You know, well they didn't they didn't trust themselves, did they? It's, uh, of course, not impossible that they were accurately tracking people as they changed their minds before. Uh, on the other hand, it's not impossible they were taking a bung to make it look closer than it was. I've got absolutely no, um, yeah, no no concept of it. But I think, I actually think that um, it was very difficult to call. And none of the data that anybody had, it seemed, pointed to the final result. Not really. I, I can tell you... Um, I should tell everyone that. Uh, I mean, John was conscientiously out campaigning for the party a long time before. And uh, I think I ought to be asking him, you know, at what point did he really know the outcome? Uh, and he was just being optimistic because he felt he morally had to. Or, or was it a proper surprise? Let's ask that before uh, before I tell you when I found out the result. It was, I think it was a, it was a surprise. It was a surprise. I mean, um, when the uh, exit poll came out, I took my um, uh, medicine and a couple of cans of lager and went to sleep as fast as I could um, because it it did not seem uh, that that was going to be overturned in a in no. that night of results. The I took quite a lot more medicine and some of it came back on the sofa. <laughs> but um, it's it's really really difficult, and it was. Um, depending on where you were, because in the last few days of campaigning, it's because you're doing, um, you know, you're, only, you're pretty much only speaking, you're not doing any, a huge amount of more persuasion at that point. You're ensuring up the vote and on the last day getting out the vote. You would be surprised if you learned anything new at that stage. Um, unless there was, an, a, you know, a, a massive underlying swing that uh, no one had picked up and suddenly you knock up all these Labour promises and they go, no, no, we're, we're joking. <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that. So I, um, I've not been entirely enthused to help out in my own local constituency, which is, is still Labour, believe it or not. Um, uh, but uh, I'm not so far away from Ian Duncan Smith, which uh, sadly retained. Um, against the bright, optimistic uh, and lovely Pfizer um, who had even had the assistance of Hugh Grant. And and that was a marginal. Uh, and on the day, I just decided I couldn't live with myself if I hadn't gone out to help. So I abandoned the work I should have been doing, got on the tube, then uh, walked out, saw some uh, campaigners in the street, asked where the nearest uh, 
office was, was directed, uh, was sent out with a board and uh, got talking to people. And I, I came back from that experience. So you're knocking up. So you're only talking to people who have said they'll vote Labour or is, are unknown. And you know when the last contact was. And uh, and I think we talked about this last time. You do have to make sure you're actually talking to the right person. Uh, a lot of the uh, the um, enthusiastic younglings there were just assuming that the person they spoke to, even if they had a different gender, was the person they were trying to uh, talk to. Nevertheless, there were a lot of people saying some pretty alarming sounding things for people who uh, you were hoping were on your side. Um, but I thought, you know, it's just one one little spot. I, I'm I'm sure it's just a just a moment, you know, just an area. Sort of localized, uh, uh, localized. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then uh, and I went back to the station, and the, the candidate was visiting. Took a happy selfie. Um, she's uh, annoyingly good looking, which is terrible if you're in a selfie with me. It makes you know. I mean, that's just, in the in the selfie. She, whoever was having a selfie taken with you, they look good looking, right? But the that's, uh, that's, there is that. But yeah. Um, anyway, and then you know, picked up a um, clipboard, uh, not as waterproof as it should have been. Went straight back out. Um, this time, running the board, so having quite a good look at the data um, from the the recent voter ID, and uh, getting starting to realise I was starting to develop a theory about what had happened in the sort of roughly six weeks since most of the people we were speaking to had been last irritated by a Labour canvasser and the white ones um, especially the ones I hate to say it who seemed a little bit intellectually challenged had decided that security was a big issue that Jeremy Corbyn was a uh, terrorist sympathiser and that they couldn't possibly vote Labour anymore and were going to go for Ian Duncan Smith so it was, you know, there was a lot of anti-Jeremy stuff. There are a lot of people who very specifically mentioned Jeremy and just doing a bit of sort of rough extrapolation in my head, I was like, this is not going to be a good night. But I was surrounded by beautiful, optimistic young people from Momentum who have not done campaigning, canvassing, that kind of thing many times before um, and who all told themselves that they'd won last time they'd done it and some who were crying in the street from having disappointing exchanges with the electorate. But their innocence, naivety and enthusiasm kept me going uh, until I found myself in the pub waiting for the uh, the score. So you told me that um, you not only were people fixated, seemingly fixated on security as an issue, which I think security is often code for um, Jeremy seemed to be uh, slightly more in favour of um, brown people than uh, than some others. The, I uh, felt there was a subtle connection being made by the fact that the candidate, uh, yeah, was was not uh, of the same, or w- w- sorry, was of roughly the same ethnicity as uh, um, Al Qaeda or whatever we call them these days, um, and Jeremy Corbyn likes to talk to terrorists was was the connection you know those were the things that had been hammered home and if you see some of the Tory leaflets that had gone out in that time 
that's that's where they targeted him and, and in fairness that for months and months is what I was saying is, is one of the things that is going to be targeted um, and so this time the, the London Bridge attacks definitely didn't help in the way that Theresa's incompetent response to the Manchester attack did seem to help so you yeah but you were also telling me that you you know yeah so it could have come from Tory leaflets but let's be honest who really reads things that are shoved through their doors um i've the uh, <laughs> I, I don't know but they said they, well, i'm not telling you it could have done i'm saying it definitely did but i'm pretty sure it also came from candidates i was wondering more if it came from uh, a, a section of facebook advertising or something that we haven't seen um which would more likely be even more uh forthright so i'm t- so I've, I, I don't i don't doubt it i'm only saying what i've seen um you know because obviously some of it got picked up by the team and um after the election uh, Pfizer's posted some of it on Twitter. I'm yeah. I mean, I'm convinced. Um, I'm convinced that we're as people ever do some investigation. I'm convinced we're going to find an awful lot of um, sort of dark ads or whatever we're going to call them. Um, I think we're going to find some illegal uh, spend. I think we're going to find some breakings of um, the electoral law i think we're going to find some overspends on the part of the tory party or as their um their outriders as it were in different parts i think we're going to find lots of things that are untrue unhelpful unlawful um but obviously it don't matter it's it's does the consequences for doing that are non-existent minimal pretty much yeah so, i mean that that the thing here is you know the game is the game and you know the game when you play so you have to try and play the same game. This was, you know, all my argument all along for a new Labour style approach where you communicate a few things well, you know, talk to people's trust, talk to that those middle ground, those people who are easily scared by people who talk to terrorists. Because I'm not saying that, you know, Tony Blair talked to terrorists and, and what did you get? Peace in Northern Ireland. So it's it's something about the phrase that talks to terrorists that speaks to a different truth that's going around in their mind about him, you know, and not necessarily a truth, but a perception. And that's something that you have to counter at the moment you pick the leader. Um, And I think that's the lesson here. Um, But I think that, I think that the the other is a sort of a dangerous optimism and a misunderstanding of the difference between a political party which has to get into office to do any good um, and a campaigning organisation and many people who are in campaigning organisations and are also in the Labour Party because Labour Party wants to do good things and campaigning organisations like to do good things um, sort of get a bit confused about the difference. I mean, I don't necessarily think that a political party necessarily has to be in office to do good things to do big good things they do um i think that the labor party over the last four years has done some good things uh and without you know without actually being in office but that no that's no um there's no substitute for actually being there and being able to implement some of that manifesto um you know however we might have however we might have done it um but it's how, how sorry go on. i keep interrupting but how did because one of the things that i've caught i mean certainly my perception but i didn't spend much long was that corbyn himself was a massive issue 
for you know there were plenty of um, Labour voters who told me oh, I'll vote Labour again next time once he's gone. Um, I never had that. I've never had that. There, uh, it was again. It was not you know not tons, but then you know you can only see so many people in a day, and it was enough that you think you know. And I've certainly heard that from plenty of other um, constituencies as well in the in the aftermath. Um, but some people have suggested that there's there's a theoretical thing, which is that everyone liked every individual policy, or most of them, and all of them tested fairly well. <clears throat> but nobody at Labour HQ or anything went to the effort of testing because you, you tend not to, went to the idea of sort of testing all of the policies at once. What happens if we announce all of these things at once is that you worry people because it sounds revolutionary. And the sort of people who like re revolutionary change are, you know, political enthusiasts and middle-class university types and that kind of thing. Whereas in practice, most people are worried, who are worried about their next paycheck, they want to hear one or two good things and they want to see some competence so they feel assured that that's going to come i've i've heard that and i but i'm not convinced that that's necessarily true what because as you say you talk to people on the on the doorstep and the vast majority of voters have not heard a huge amount of the manifesto they really haven't um they haven't heard they certainly haven't heard a huge amount of the tory manifesto because there wasn't a huge amount in it um, but they also haven't heard a, a lot of the, the Labour manifesto. And I think, yes, there's a temptation from Labour to announce policy after policy after policy because it was seemed to be the only way to grab hold of the news cycle. Yeah, what was the phrase? Policy incontinence. Was well, I heard, yeah, I, I've heard that. But it's, 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 if you actually read the manifesto and I'd um, check your Christmas stocking, Adam, because I have already stocked up for presents, the... Um, <laughs> The it's a, an incredibly coherent document, and all the individual policies sort of bounce against each other. And the industrial policy works for the green policies, and the you know, and the 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 sort of individual in work um, policies, and the and the benefits and the welfare policies work together. And it's a it's a coherent vision. It's a very good, if not particularly radical socialist response to the problems facing britain and the world in 2019 but yeah i get i get the impression that that's you know it was well thought through in those you know you know how the, the her majesty's opposition have meetings with civil servants to plan out what might happen and you know a rational presentation was made <clears throat> that might have ended up looking a bit like arrogance um, if you're, you know, behind in the polls and that kind of thing, that will have sort of tripped a certain few sets of voters who just want to hear. Well, I've, I've what there's a, Clinton has a great quote about, you know, a bad policy from a strong person will win over a good policy from or weakly presented every time. I forget, you know, how exactly he phrased it, but. Yeah, I, I think that there was a certain amount of intellectual enthusiasm for presenting a worked programme, which somehow didn't quite work coming from Corbyn and McDonnell in the same way that coming out and doing the same thing broadly did work in 1997, saying, you know, we're going to follow these spending things, we're going to do this, this and that, you know, because there was a, you know, a clear plan for government that people seemed to believe then. 
and somehow I think people didn't quite believe it this time. I, I don't think it. I genuinely don't think it got to people. I think the um, the people it needed to reach and the people that Labour lost or didn't activate again. I don't think the policies reached them. I don't think the the manifesto reached them. I don't think the possibility of change reached them. And I think the only things that sort of did cut through, as far as I can tell, were the, the free broadband policy, which is a remarkably good policy, but uh, was lampooned, essentially. And the other one is, of course, the sort of defensiveness of the NHS. But that's a really difficult one to sell because it's it's sort of it's a sort of it's a defensive policy isn't it it's kind of like a please yeah. don't vote for them um because you can't you can't trust them on it but <clears throat> everyone doesn't trust them on anything and that depressing thing i think is true now which is very hard to sort of calibrate is that no one trusts any politicians and if you look back over the last few years it's understandable why they might not but it seems the Tories have really gone out of their way to discourage trust in politicians because it benefits them. Well, in, indeed, and it's—I mean, you, you might have seen some of the quotes in the in the press that people have, um, you know, spoken to people. And there was a, a voter in Sunderland that people reporting said he's he's voting Tory because he wants some change. Uh, huh. And we, I, we spoke to people on the doorstep who. Um, said things like, um, oh, "I'm not sure I can vote for Labour with all what with all this austerity." That I think there are genuinely people who, <laughs> who are a bit and, dumb, well, who don't know who's in power. Well, it, well, for, who for hear Labour using the word austerity and go, "Oh, it's them who talk about." Yeah. Well, if you think about it, the fact that the media for the past at least two, but certainly longer than that, years spends far more time critiquing and holding to account the Labour Party than it does the Tory Party. If you were a very casual observer of this sort of thing you might get the impression that Labour were responsible for lots of the bad things that were happening oh yeah yeah like um, American subprime mortgages were definitely um, Labour's fault yeah and it's I think that and it also in the in the, 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 the sense of the guy um, from Sunderland he votes maybe once every two years you know for local councils or whatever if he does and he's got a Labour council and things are shit there and he's not making yeah. necessarily the And he's not made the connection with the fact that no one's given them any money, uh, you know, the council. Um, and he's probably just voted himself out of a job if he works up there. So even less even less money is coming through to that council. So, yeah, so it's there are, I think the, the broadcasters did the country a disservice. Not only in not only in recent years, not only just in the campaign, but in the sort of longer period, of just essentially, people are very very badly informed, and it maybe it was a perfect storm that Labour managed to cut through in twenty seventeen. Yeah. I mean, one thing we've not talked a lot about is is Brexit, as well, which adds another bit of sauce. Um, yeah, I think also Labour cut through in twenty seventeen because there was. A perceived goodness slash, uh, what's um, you know, truthfulness. Um, there's a better word for that um, about Jeremy. Honesty. Um, it, I don't mean honesty. I mean like um, not even integrity. Um, but it, 
you know, people, it felt fresh that there was somebody who cared about a certain kind of politics for so long that it almost didn't matter to what the politics was. And I think that a lot of people on the Labour side thought, well, that will, you know, that's indefinite. But I think people, you know, even without the leadership questions that came from the anti-Semitism issue, that would have sort of faded away a little, that uh, honeymoon effect. And I think there really are leadership questions. I think people do find themselves, you know, on some level looking for strength, you know, especially the floating voters are looking for strength in the leader almost more than any real qualities. And this is where I think the long equivocation on on the uh, the Brexit issue did cost Labour. I think on its own, the anti-Semitism thing might not have counted for that much, but uh, it so you know, it was another example, and it seemed to be continually hammered home. Well, I think I'm so I think that it's not that. So I think there's a mistake that lots of Labour people made, and I don't know if there's a mistake that was made sort of inside Labour, you know, inside the sort of leader's office or the comms team uh, as well. But I think a lot of us felt that they've hit they've hit uh, Jeremy with absolutely everything they've got for four years now. They haven't got anything else. We've heard it all. Everybody's heard it all. There aren't any new things. If you're not, if you weren't convinced in 2017 that he was a wrong gun, you're not going to be convinced by the same things over and over again. But it's true that either there were people who needed to or who were convinced if they continued to hear it for a further two years or that it hadn't hit in 2017 and it's hit them since and it's i think we all i think we made the mistake of thinking you know we're interested in this sort of thing we've heard all this it's sort of baked in i mean yeah that over and over again if there's any mistake if there's anything that labor labor members enthusiasts um political enthusiasts make is to assume that everyone else cares as much as them rather than just vaguely tunes in here's a few things before an election and makes a decision you know it's the people who don't care who who are the floating voters because if you care the chances are you're attached to one side or another yeah definitely and i think we we made that we made that mistake and we made the mistake of thinking that you could i think you could that you could build and that there's the 2019 manifesto is nothing if not a building and expansion of the 2017 manifesto and it's better for that it's a better manifesto but it's it's not a it's not as it's not as simple it's not as splashy it's it doesn't cut it obviously didn't cut through as much and i think you can't underestimate the sort of weariness with brexit is that there are a lot of people who voted to remain just think it will go away now again it's you know it's the people who are less able to contemplate the reality of it it's their vote that's going to be the problem well you know ad that i quite like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and in the book of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy which is based on i think a um douglas adams script for a doctor who that wasn't made uh where they fight what are called the cricket robots and there's lots of there's lots of illusion there's lots of illusions to cricket in it but there's a bit in that where um 
Ford Prefect, the sort of the uh, researcher of the Hitchhiker's Guide, who's uh, the sort of main sort of lead alien character in the in the book, says to uh, the the Earthman Arthur Dent, he says, "We've lost, and I'll tell you why we've lost, because those people are extremists and they care, they care more." <laughs> And to a certain extent, that's always been true about um, Brexit, is that the people who want to leave care a damn sight more than most of the people who think remaining would be quite a good idea. They're not willing to go quite as far. They're not willing to trash the economy quite as much. They're not willing to vote against their own best interests quite as much. Although it is worth remembering that people... Uh, who were voting for parties that either wanted a second referendum or to just remain, uh, accounted for 52% of those voting at the last general election uh, a week or so ago. Well, that's that's true, but but, but lots of places where um, Labour lost seats, it there was some swing to the Tories, but what there was was a lot of disappeared Labour votes. It's uh, Yeah, it's kind of depressing that the... Uh, extremists if you like uh, were able to successfully um, get together um, and form an alliance with the you know the Brexit party admittedly that required unilateral surrender by the Brexit party but you know to achieve their goal while those on the left uh, you know even though it was definitely a Brexit election were not only stupid enough to allow the election to happen in the first place, but then completely failed to uh, operate any sort of tactical voting. Well, I think I was I was quite buoyant, not on tactical voting in general, but on the prospect that certain uh, sort of locale, certain constituencies would be alive to the possibilities of tactical voting, and um, sort that out. So I thought I thought we had a chance of uh, seeing Rob go, for example, because it would. As a Labour voter, if I lived in Dominic Raab's constituency, there's very few things that would actually make me swap. Um, but that, looking at those polls in the last week of the election, I think I would have been tempted. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it interesting, isn't it? The Lib Dems sort of doubled their vote almost and haven't really got very far to show for it and indeed lost their leader. Well, they yeah, they absolutely stacked stacked votes up in uh, Oxford West Lavington, uh, ran by us, and it was quite a depressing experience. Actually, I, I didn't find any of the other canvassing uh, experiences depressing. I found Swindon, you know, quite good, and I found Harrow East quite invigorating, and I found some of the places that you know I'd heard about like, that would they seemed to be going really well. Ran by us, it was quite depressing because even those that supported Labour were essentially saying we're going to vote Lib Dem. And that's that's just depressing. And the, the Labour vote around here did, did sink a little bit. The, the um, uh, Leila Moran, the Lib Dem, got a stonking great majority, which I always thought she would. I was never uh, I was never worried. And I think there were people inside the local Labour Party who were saying, just, you know, stop what you're campaigning for. It's dangerous. The Tories might win. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. They're not. The Lib Dems have got this locked down um but it was but that was the that was the that was the depressing experience because it, it not quite to the extent that it was during the local elections where i spoke to more people that said oh labor can't win round here so we're going to vote lib dem than the lib dem majority huh. 
Yeah. I mean, that's the problem with tactical voting. I think some people... I, I think the moral... You know, the argument you're sort of make, or you were, you would have made then that you should still vote for the party you believe in because, you know, that can change it. Um, doesn't... Often doesn't affect the, the, the better educated, more likely to be Remainer kind of people because they believe in the overall morality of it. Um, whereas the you know the Brexiteers can be quite cynical about what they want, yeah, as you're saying that they're, they're extremists. But then, so too, I mean, ultimately, are any any of the people involved in um, campaigning on either side, and that's what I think we all forget from time to time. It's um, yeah, the, although uh, I don't, I think I mean I spoke to a lot, I spoke to a lot of people, and. Um, I've I'd said I'm sure I've said this to you before that uh, there are very few people seemed happy about voting Tory. They weren't enthused by it. Um, but I did, and I did speak to a few no. People. Well, you know, it was uh, interestingly, it was sort of Tony Blair who said uh, shortly before, sort of made me feel better about the idea of going out and uh, voting for a good Labour candidate if I had one in my constituency not making any comments on that except to say that he had of course voted to invoke article and article 50 which makes him a bad candidate in my view um which uh, uh but the lib dems increased their share here which would be tactically unwise you might argue um in this seat uh just but i think that was people on voting on the grounds just simply pro-european saying well labor is still going to win so we still need to, you know, get our message across. It's it's people, people do seem to think. I think in terms of you know they now see the UK as divided into Tory and not Tory, and t to some extent, a lot of people who are going to vote Lib Dem or who might vote Lib Dem, therefore see the Labour leader as the effective person they're voting for, and I think that hurt the Lib Dems. And it didn't help them, you know. In fact, it hurt you know hurt them more because you know the people who are yellow, if you like, uh, are more likely to be susceptible to the various anti-communist arguments. Well, though it's um, it's certainly it's I think that's certainly true about the sort of Tory non-Tory thing, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's wise for Labour to stay out of the sort of tactical voting alliancey type things because it doesn't it doesn't them no good essentially they, no it, it has to be done it has to be done really subtly you know just not quite the open disagreement i mean if both the lib dems and um you know corbyn and and his political advising gang we're all very bring it on about this election in the end and i don't really understand why i never understood why people wanted it I know. I think you were quite bring it on, but I thought I thought the outcome or the likely outcome was obvious all along, and they had uh, you know bon Johnson trapped, and I thought it was almost it was a shame to have the election. Well, once the, the once the SNP and the Lib Dem said they'd vote for it, Labour had no choice but to be bullish about it. Um, but I'll admit, I I thought I thought we had a chance. I. Yeah, and I like lots of people misread it um, because I thought I thought 
that with I thought we'd get that period of broadcasting impartiality that we didn't get. I thought we'd we'd get I thought we'd get to a certain extent a fair hearing, and I always think that if the Labour Party get a fair hearing, they should win. And um, it's I you know we 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 absolutely know now because it's these things never go back. Um, they always get worse. We are never ever going to get a fair even broadcast media ever again we're never ever going to get a labor leader that is in any way transformative um for the country who isn't just going to get pilloried we're never ever going to see anything other than the money that can be funneled through um different organizations and outside the the party systems having a bigger and bigger influence would continually going to see that and the next election will be even harder because the conservative majority will they will gerrymander take, they take will, the opportunity to they'll yes. vote there'll be voter suppression there'll be all sorts of things so it's going to get it's going to get harder um i i still don't understand how you can have the the proposed uh voter id you know photo id thing without providing free or and compulsory photo id for everyone and that's always been something that's terrified the Tories and also had you have got that you could have not had complete freedom of movement as well because that's the only reason you couldn't have you had to have complete freedom of movement because you refused to make everybody have an ID card um, but uh, I mean I don't necessarily think because I don't think uh, ID at voting stations is good so I don't think compulsory ID cards are, are good either but it's um I don't. Yes, I don't. But they don't want to do it because it's a it's a suppression tactic, and uh, as you you'll you'll see loads of things that we haven't even thought of. Um, they will bring up to make it even harder. And it was a. Uh, I often said that it was um you know almost like the last chance to get a, a decent climate policy in place before it became too late. It may have been the last chance to save the democratic process. It's quite depressing really. in, in this country. It, it does. It, it's a, a little worrying. Although the thing about the democratic process is it tends to sort of realign itself fairly effectively around, you know, the perceived middle. Um, so, you know, at some point, if the Labour Party this time or maybe next time after it really learns its lesson, does realign itself and you know the national mood moves the other way it's not impossible that the democratic process simply by virtue of still being democratic uh will you know hopefully eventually reach the desired outcome but it's not going to happen without a bit of help and a bit of reality um from a group of people who have not necessarily been good at seeing reality uh I mean, that's the, so that's the question now. I think, you know, we've, we've done a lot of analysis. I think you were very surprised. I think even I was quite surprised by how far it went. Um, some people annoyed me a bit by suggesting it was the rain. Um, or, you know, there's been a lot of excuse making. Yeah, you haven't... Um, yeah, it's almost like you haven't managed... Yeah, if you, if you haven't got through that one, and I don't, I don't think... I don't think that maybe the weather was because it was fucking pissed down in in Swindon. Maybe the weather was yeah, so it, it was really unpleasant during the middle part of the day for in here in um, 
or in Chingford anyway, it, my um my folder which didn't have one of those things nearly fell apart, and the the sheets uh, were sticking to each other and all sorts. It's um yeah oh god well we had uh, um one of those momentum thugs that you hear of where I spent a lot of time um, hair drying the uh, the contact sheets as we brought them back into the, com- the committee room to uh, so they could be slightly legible again. Um, but it was... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to say one other little story from while I was out before we move on to, a, you know, trying to put some hope at the end of this, um, which really, really, gen- weirdly after everything I've said and after everything I've heard over the last God knows how long about uh, anti-Semitism interested me, which is one of the older in- Labour enthusiasts, not a uh, you know young, optimistic, naive momentumite. Um, there are some old, naive uh, enthusiasts. Well, he may he well have too. been. But he, uh, he advanced the hypothesis that um, members of a certain well-known Abrahamic religion um, had simply been waiting for the excuse to leave Labour um, in en masse, uh, which is why they were hamming up the, um, the, the anti-Semitism story to provide that excuse. Um, because he went on to suggest a certain number of um, financial stereotypes and therefore they would be better off under the Tories. Uh, just one man, but nevertheless, I encountered somebody who had a... Uh, a prejudice, shall we say? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sure there are, and I actually think um, one of the most disappointing things about the whole anti-Semitism thing is, is that some people have taken the opportunity to double down on some of that sort of thing. A, a vanishingly small number, I think, but there are some places sort of online, and whether or not they're actually Labour members or not, I don't know. Um, yeah, some of it's quite depressing, particularly some of the stuff that sort of seems to float around Chris uh, XMP, Chris Williamson. Yeah, it's um, uh, never go uh, full Galloway, they say, and he certainly did. <laughs> yeah, beautiful expression. Um, but no, you, yeah, let's. Um, it, there was some. Uh, there were some wonderful things to that make can make you optimistic about the whole campaign. Um, the manifesto is really good had the manifesto been better presented uh not in terms of design and stuff it's quite nice but the um in, you know what i mean if the manifesto had been had focused more the communication of the manifesto had focused more on some of the things that could really cut through it would have been a lot yeah. better but it's a, it's a very simply good simply by not banging on about all about it picking the few uh you know the the few not the many policies and really talking about them in a way people could understand I think that's uh, but ap- apparent, apparently also the communication the part there was a PR not PR there was a, like a the grid got accidentally released early on. Oh well, it, Is that it, right? it leaked yeah way before the election yeah, was yeah. called. After which the you know the revised grid was hidden so effectively that none of the people campaigning ever knew about it or where it was or what the day's pro- you know communication was meant to be. Right, and there was. Um yeah, so I think uh, the, the I think the policies. It's a really good policy platform to keep going on. I think it's it will have to change uh, and evolve for for next time. But it's if 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 you could have implemented that policy that policy platform, it would have been phenomenal. But I also think there is no way 
there is there is no competition in terms of ground game and campaigning and organisation of grassroots activists. There's no competition in the in the UK at least um, for for the Labour Party. So can, if we can get that going, um, uh, you know, if we can get that going uh, in between elections. Yeah, that's that's really well, something it, to It seems on. to me that the obvious thing to do now is to adapt um, the the canvassing sheets into an app. Oh, there is one. So, it's just a bit unreliable. Okay, a reliable app. Yeah. Because um, phones are more waterproof these days than paper. Yeah, no, the, the data, um, apparently the uh, we it was being used in some places. Um but uh, some of the people running the sort of committee rooms and stuff don't like it. Um, in the, they don't because because right. you don't need them anymore. <laughs> because the data immediately goes straight back, appears on the computer screen, and a lot of the people who are used to have the, enjoy the power of running the room will have to get out and actually do some campaigning. <laughs> I don't know. But it's... Yeah, no, but there are all sorts of digital... De- you know, demarcation! <laughs> there are all sorts of, sort of digital tools and, and, and things that... And I think it's not the case. Um, okay, so here, do you want to go straight into uh, talking about what should happen next, or have you got five? Have we got five minutes for a, a reflection that, of of something that I was thinking about? Okay, you know, I think we should hear your reflection, and then. Uh... So, during the campaign, this was something I was thinking of, and it was also something I heard from other activists. And it's certainly true is because during that six weeks we were revert we were trying to do trying to be persuasive on the doorstep, particularly at the start, but towards the end it really does um, sort of dissolve into a sim you know a simple voter ID numbers game, and that felt and that feels a little bit alien to what we should and we know in our deep down that we should be doing because what we should be doing is not only trying to persuade people but and even persuasion doesn't feel great because you could you could write i assume although labor might never be cynical enough to do it you could write a sort of nlp uh script to talk to people on the door to sort of program them around if you wanted to but what we actually need to do is get away from this sort of um i don't know substitutionism as um as Trotsky would say the we need to um we need to make allow people and give them enough uh, tools to get a little bit of clash consciousness going and help them and let, let them come to their own conclusions give them the tools to come to their own conclusions if you see what i mean rather than trying to do the persuasion or we'll just do this targeting thing where we'll just you know, we'll we'll desperately remind all the people that we think are on our side to get out, and we won't talk to the people who aren't. Hopefully, they might forget. Um, which is, as far as I can see, the sort of get out the vote thing in the end. But it is that um, there's a there's a danger that what what we do is a form of substitutionism, where we substitute the working class for the Labour Party, and within the Labour Party, we substitute that for the the officers or the activists of the Labour Party and we and the activists get substituted for the sort of central uh, leaders office and stuff because that's how it works and everything just flows down whereas what we really need to do is spend that time building the grassroots movement back up 
and if you're going to come back to um, Trotsky, he would say that the emancipation of the working class can only come from within the working class itself. Well, that's absolutely uh, absolutely true. It's a different um, look at it. Uh, sorry, well, people don't normally like to hear the word Trotsky associated with modern politics, um, but I think there's a there's a lot to be said for the idea that you know the working class, which is not necessarily what Labour is anymore, in large part, you know, there's a lot of intellectual Londoners. There are a lot more people. But they all have to, to sell. They have to sell their. They have to sell their Labour to live. They are working class, and this this is the. Yeah. Well, we're not talking. I'm no, not. No, I'm no. not talking about cultural working class. I'm talking about economic working class, which is. I no. I I, I understand what. Yeah. I think. I think. I hope that's how we all think of it these days. I mean, we all sort of end up selling our labour one way or another, or podcasting when we ought to be selling our labour. Yeah, I mean, this is it. So it's kind of. So I, I think this. Hopefully, this is stuff that is going to come out of the re- reflections and the the sort of listening exercise and or whatever. But the what we can't do is just say let's listen to these people because although I don't want to evoke uh, the fascist um, Henry Ford too much you remember he, the famous quote from his if I, if I asked people what they wanted they'd have said a faster horse if you, that's a good quote if you ask the missing or, sw- or swung ex-Labour voters in northern constituencies what they want they'll say a faster Brexit well they'll say a faster, yeah, faster Brexit or they'll say we want a big, big fat welfare state, but we don't want any of these brown people to have it. It's yeah. So we 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 want to feel smug in some way by disliking foreigners, by what have you, by apparently also having faster roads to and from London. What we I think what we've got to do is not simply ask people what they want, but do a deep, deep work into what creates the conditions that we're in. And and if you can change the conditions and, and, and educate, not so much educate people, but sort of politically educate people, which is different, it's not saying they're stupid or uneducated, but they're not, people who without class consciousness don't have a form of political education, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a two-step process, and I think you do that by appealing, you know, to those people who are, you know, largely the the white men workington man or you know whomever helped decide that election you appeal to them to the point at which you can win power and then you start the project so give yourself a 1997 but then come out you know differently well that was that is i mean apart from um the middle east which we won't talk about that is truly tony blair's big failure is a failure of ambition um to do the things that he that were possible with that majority uh and that's you know they well yeah we don't need to go through them well he had his it's fair to say the ambition i think was different but i i I know what you're saying but his ambition was to keep that big coalition of you know middle class um working class and, and and you know anyone who worked and aspired just make life easier for them and i think i think normal politics got in the way so he thought that he could make labor the default rather than the protest government and maybe that was almost heading towards being true but only by yeah you're right not necessarily doing that much that quickly 
uh, and then normal politics is that something happens and the thing swings back the other way and you know for Tony Blair it was September 11th and everything that happened after well you've you've you have to establish a, a um, as I would say, hegemony. I mean, I've heard lots of different ways of pronouncing that word over these past few weeks. The, um, the, yeah. So the, it it was at that point in not so much in ninety seven, but in um, uh, two thousand and two. Uh, even though the vote dropped, it it must have felt that voting Labour was the default, and if you um, picked another one, you were you were consciously making a decision, and it genuinely felt. Uh, around some of the places that I uh, went over this last campaign, that it's if you were not voting Tory, you'd made a conscious decision. If you were ju- if you go to vote and you hadn't thought about it at all, they were going to vote Tory, and I think that's um, that's dangerous. And I think the media's got a lot to do with that. But well, that's depressing. You're kind of implying this time round a lot of people had thought. <laughs> well. So not as many, not as many as we needed. A few million less than we needed to. Um, but where do we go from? That is that's my kind of my uh, things. And we, well, where do we go? How, how, one thing to okay. So for a long distance positivity, I, I think I remember. I think I've probably it may have been you, but you know, I said because we were in the the same office, weren't we? The the day of the September eleventh attack. Um. I said, "Oh, this is our this is our moon landing," you know, and the theory being that previous generation had all that optimism and you know the excitement of the the space, and what was going to happen as a result of that attack was going to define a generation of unpleasantness, and, and it has done. So hopefully, we'll eventually start to move past that time, you know. So that's one thing to be a little bit optimistic about. Although I think we're still only halfway through that one thing to be i i I have um i've reset my optimism so i started like 10 minutes after the exit poll by saying well the one thing about getting the 80 seats is we might get to see that the real boris johnson is a bit more of a centrist if he's not pulled down that path of insanity by the brexiteers you might see the sort of brexit that's you know, people who run car factories and that kind of thing would would want, which would be a better thing because it would be, you know, softer. Um, But since then, he's already managed to get in this um, insane idea of trying to get everything done in less than a year, which may or may not result in a hard Brexit, you know, crash out Brexit. (laughs) So, So we've seen what sort of person he is and he's worse. But we do at least have a government elected by not a completely final majority. You know, we went from a Tory majority government to a Labour majority government of 179 in 1997. So the possibility for the level of change required does exist. Um, And part of that was from going from an unpopular leader to a popular one. So... We now have a lot of people who didn't necessarily want to vote Tory and a Tory people who have promised an awful lot for those votes and are already looking like screwing it up because they have made you know, promises on the NHS 
and they have made promises on infrastructure and that kind of thing which people who are not necessarily natural Tory voters are going to be looking to see followed up on to some extent and relatively quickly and at the same time it looks like there's going to be a Brexit that's going to cause real economic harm. The Tories have also promised to keep the tax levels the same or reduce them everywhere across the board which means they're not going to have money to pay for these things so they're going to have to find it by either breaking some promises or by you know by causing further harm and and let's not forget that Boris has already done the pound a fair disservice uh, not by being elected everyone thought the certainty was good but by immediately shooting his power in the foot with this insane Brexit plan so the Tories are in quite a, they've got a long time to work it out but they've set themselves quite a lot of very difficult challenges some they really didn't need to and um, I think there's, you know, some hope can be had in just the the idea that people might be quite angry about it. If we, I mean, if we can survive until that point, <laughs> that, that was, yeah, that, that's, um, the, it's unlikely that um, there will be a popular uh, a government um, come whenever this election does come, if they don't manage to, uh, you know, prevent the idea that we'll have one or anything. Um, so assuming assuming he doesn't get a Falklands or something. Yeah, well, there's all, there's always a war when you need one. If you look hard enough, it yeah. might even be the Falklands again. My, my money's on Gibraltar. <laughs> so, um, did the Renew Party have a good election? Ed? Not at all. Um, he said rather too honestly. Um, I think the Renew Party was symptomatic of the the other you know um, of other smaller parties who have wanted to create change um, and there was an independent in my seat uh, called Henry Scott who was an 18 year old and a little enthusiastic got lots of kids outside the uh, Asda and stuff and he got about 500 votes now we didn't stand here but uh, where Renew did put cons- uh, candidates up I think you know in, in the between 1 and 200 sort of territory so I think um, change from within you know I, th- I think I personally out loud now I'm going to say that I'm not wildly optimistic about the Labour Party at the moment um, but I guess if I join this week I'll get a vote in the leader uh, or rejoin well we'll talk we'll, or, yeah, uh, if um, precedent is uh, taken from the last leadership election no you wouldn't uh, you have to be a member for six months to get one Ah, but uh, well, it, yes, it's, it's, in that case, that probably will be the precedent, won't they? Because they don't really want like sane people coming in and voting for the leader, do they? Well, that that um, Corbyn's staying on to ensure a succession. That uh, that decision was made, and at that time, that was a, a decision that tried to help Owen Smith because um, the, the sort of the moderate in quotes wing held the NEC at that point. Um, I don't. Yeah, I genuinely don't know. Um, there will be an NEC meeting uh, in short order that will lay out this sort of stuff. Um, but I mean, join me. Uh, it's a nailed uncertainty that the left candidate will win. But uh, yeah, is it? I think. So. I mean, on, on the face of it, is certainly the bookies see it that way, which means Rebecca Long Bailey. If who we, I don't think I know enough about to be a hundred percent sure she's the wrong choice but 
Well, she was the arch- she's the architect of many of the industrial policies, and particularly the um, uh, green uh, industrial revolution stuff. Yeah, which I'm, I'm already hearing the wrong words. What I want to be hearing at this point is somebody talking about somebody being good on the telly, because um, most people don't care. You know, somebody essentially having that confidence-inspiring Middle England fra- friendly face that you might get with a uh, Keir Starmer, who can also perform i imagine in the north um and instead i don't, I don't hearing, know if he's um, oh this person is a fine policy maker i don't know if uh keir star has ever done a, a tour of uh, the musicals with his uh vent act i don't know um whether or not he can perform in the north i don't, I don't know he's he's got to go to uh glasgow midweek and get something and um we're, get, we're getting some great i told you so's from like uh emma thought is it emma emily or emma thornbury emily uh emily thornbury yeah um, so she's she's going for it, isn't she? Uh, well, her and uh, Starmer uh, appeal to pretty much exactly the same sort of people. So if they both go for it, they'll split that vote a little bit. I would have thought. Um, it's well, I mean, we'll see. Uh, my preferred candidate is no longer an MP, so <laughs> well, uh, is it Dennis Skinner? Yes, no. <laughs> Well, he would he would have been the idea. He would have, he would been, have been, been an idea. entertainment, wouldn't he? Well, he would have been the the next Jeremy Corbyn in electoral terms. But I mean, I think it would have been entertaining to watch for a bit. So we actually uh, the UK uh, escaped a constitutional crisis by Dennis not regaining his seat um, because he would have been the father of the house, and he would have refused to take the position, which would have thrown all sorts of constitutional uh, problems up. Oh, so he was planning on getting a bit of attention, and uh... he's not been well at sea, Dennis, as far as, I, as no. I've heard. So, um, no, well, my preferred candidate would have been Laura Pidcock. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, Is that because of having the word cock in her name, or more yeah. sophisticated reason? <laughs> she's just, she's just very good. She's the nearest thing we've got to uh, uh, an Alexandria Casio Cortez in this country. Um, oh yeah, she is fun. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Um, we we'll know. I mean, we'll, we'll really see. I mean, we'll see who goes through. I'm not going to make a, a. I wouldn't. I won't make a final decision until I see the actual field. Um, I would like to see Clive Lewis go for it because I don't really think someone's position on Brexit need be that important because you anymore what, no because you've got <laughs> you've, you've got a few yeah I mean you've got a, you've got a few years before that might become electorally important uh, yes and all- I don't think it's going to matter to people a lot next time out um, and you know you've got plenty of time to manage that one way or the other I think it's going to be more about how they manage you know take that enthusiasm of the membership and make sure that that is you know one part of a really successful strategy to win first and then, you know, to also translate that into doing something good. And my worry is that all the discussion about there needing to be a woman because Labour haven't had a, a well, Margaret Beckett's temporary period aside, uh, leadership. Uh, yeah, it was Margaret Beckett, yeah. wasn't it, after John Smith? Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the things that hurt the Lib Dems this time out was that people are, you know, that certain voters are, are just don't warm to certain kinds of women 
not, not at all fairly, but I think, like I said, when you're playing the game, it almost doesn't matter. You just have to... I, I don't know how to say it, but I think that, you know, I think that people were not voting for that sort of Miss Bossy Pants or how they might phrase it. Uh, of, I've already forgotten her name. She's lost a seat. She doesn't matter now, does she? Well, um, it's, it is true that women um, get... Uh, unfair so a a forthright woman will get dismissed as bossy yes that's true isn't it whereas a forthright man will be seen as strong and that's that's a, that's a, that is a that is an issue but i this is a thing that we have to rise above and i think it almost doesn't matter because any as i said any left leaning labor leader will get so much shit in the press that it really doesn't matter uh doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter who they are what matters is how they react to it yeah and for that i see jess phillips as being potentially uh either brilliant or devastating that that's one i couldn't predict she's electorally. A, she's joe swinson with a brummy accent well certainly there's that downside but i don't know no i I don't know i think she's um because she's a, a little bit older and she's got you know she owns her look and i think that's the diff. that's the other thing i think men aren't judged on their appearance in quite the same way whereas women are expected to take their appearance and their personality and connect them in a sort of awkward way i, re- I really think there's a, a certain expectation um and i have a further suspicion that it's largely the women who do that judging you know there's there's a it's, i mean it's true i think jess phillips doesn't stand a chance quite frankly there have been polls of labor members that give her something like 60 percent minus favorability rating uh yeah the sun have her as 14 to 1 uh keir starmer 7 to 1 uh rebecca long bailey is 9 to 5 so and um, we but we yeah we just don't know do we? I, I, I mean, but I can, you know, it will determine my. I don't know. How will I feel? Like, will I be able to support a party that essentially goes a bit suicidal? Or is it possible that the party machine will have learned enough that it doesn't matter entirely who the leader is? The leader has got, the leader's got bigger jobs uh, in the short term than. Um, I guess it's also possible that the leader now is going to have other electoral tests and may may well have to resign before the next general election. Well, there's there's a a school of thought that thinks that the Labour Party should have a leader to take all the flack until six months before a general election, in which case they should swap. Um, But it seems to be an excellent working strategy, doesn't it? I mean, poor Theresa. But it's. um, yeah, I mean that's it's not going it's not going to happen. But that is essentially what happened in New Zealand. Uh but the it's um it's yeah, it does but the what I would like to see from a leader is not a um a load of uh changes to what the policy platform is or not a not a sort of vague promise to be more combative or tv friendly or or whatever but i I don't think you can promise that i think that's something that just is or isn't true in a way you know you can be able to see that 
one way or well, another. Well, that's I mean that's but that's exactly what Owen Smith did. Um, he didn't he didn't he wasn't actually more TV friendly. He just kept telling us that he was uh, while making huge gaffes. But the the the, the uh, what I want to see from Alina is a, a a promise to make the party more democratic and more sort of ground up uh, than than top down because there was a, a sense in which because of the sort of uh, it was like a shortcut really uh, of the left taking control without the infrastructure below it and there's been continual battles to fight which has meant that the the we didn't manage to get that sort of whole sort of refresh of the party democracy going. Yeah, it, it happened too fast, and I think I think to be honest, the voters saw it saw it as having happened not entirely fair. You know, I think people maybe perceive more than sometimes we give them credit for, and I think you know the, the shadowy figures and stuff. Um, I mean, you're always going to be left with a democratic structure. You're gonna have problems like that, and maybe there's some other way to include people who aren't members in that process, but who might vote. But that would be a very difficult thing. Perhaps not so much in these modern electronic times, because what you really want is a party that draws its policy platform not only from the members who, as we've said, you know, are largely going to be over to one side of the the politics, but also from those people who may be going to go one way, may be going to go the other. Well, I don't want the policies from them. <laughs> uh, but I want them, but I possibly want their votes. I want to persuade them and bring them along. I don't want their, I don't want their policies because that's just diluting it. Right. Sort of well, like, yeah, that's because they're, they're the faster horse people, if you like. That's like when, that's what, that's like when you've got a load of Play-Doh and you just like, you've got all the different colours and you just sort of squish it together and then everybody ends up with just like a brown lump of shit. The 179 seat majority, you mean? <laughs> well, the, the, the pro- promised no- promise nothing but a smile. But the Labour at that point were building on the work of, uh, you know, of John, of John Smith and to a certain extent, um, John John Major's efforts to make the Tories unelectable. Well, indeed, uh, and their fine work with um, bin bags and oranges. Uh, but it, it's it's true. It was a it was a different time, and it'll never be the same election again. And it's difficult for us to predict how what's left of the world will look in hopefully not five years time. I think one bit of constitutional change we can probably expect is a repeal or a change of the uh, when elections happen, because um, no one's going to want to go through this in December again, are they? I well, I, <laughs> you know the whole. Uh, premise of this podcast is that we have an an active uh, sort of disagreement from two different uh, sides of the coin. As, uh, but essentially, the elections killed me. I'm too tired. You're too tired to disagree with me. Uh, let's see if you've got the energy to, to to disagree with me by next week. And by then, you know, hopefully, people will have stopped uh, banging on. You know, providing me with ammunition, like. Uh, like Tony, or um... well, as I said in my letter to um, to Jeremy that I sent with his Christmas card, um, by not by not walking out the door on the morning after the election, like so many leaders have done uh, in recent history, by essentially saying, "Look, I will take the shit for another couple of months," 
and particularly John McDonald being, you know, throwing his shoulder out there and trying to draw the shit away from from Jeremy and and from others. They're doing a huge service to the party. The idea that we might get a good discussion about what's happening next and a good discussion as a part of these leader and deputy it's, leader contests. That's a real. That's a real. That's a real service. Yeah, and and a, in a way he has to because of what he did to Tom Watson. <laughs> um, what he, or he and team effectively did because otherwise he could have stood down. Tom Watson could have temporarily taken the job, and then everyone could have decided to just let him carry on. So this is, in a way, part of his plan, and in a way, something he has to do. But yeah, it's not the worst thing. In, in the long run, no one's going to mind. It's going to. It, continue to look horrible at the, in uh, in parliament um and just embarrassing but you know these these are not months that will matter at the next general election no then they're not but i i think it's a it's a real good and I, we actually had a um a sort of online meeting um on sunday with john mcdonald attended just like activists basically a few thousand on it and it was notable. Not only did uh, John do the same thing that everybody does at an online meeting, he's got like continually adjusting his camera on his laptop and trying to get a, a decent shot showing him and not too much of the mess in his study and apologising for the fact his books were all over the place. Um, he continually was adjusting his glasses so you couldn't see the fact he was tearing up. Um, I do... Yeah, I feel for him a lot more than I feel for Jeremy Corbyn. I, I, I really feel a sense of blame and anger for Corbyn not resigning earlier or not listening. You know, I, I feel like he showed a certain amount of arrogance in going for it again or he and those who directly supported him. Whereas I feel like John McDonnell was a smart man with sensible policy, you know, who was a lot more rational and a lot quicker when interviewed on things like Europe, that kind of thing, who who should have been the man there taking this election. And, you know, I don't think it would be the same result. I don't know. This, uh, if you go to... Uh... I mean, I, I think it would... Actually, I think it would be the same result, but I don't think it would be the same math, you know, maths. Yeah. I think it was too hard a thing to win. But then I, I think... You know, if that European policy had been decided a long time before, I think it might have been a different game. If it had been, if it had been decided either way, uh, six months ago, it might have made it might have made a difference. But um, at the yeah. point, with, with yeah, time uh, to sell it, oh, that, that sounds a good enough reason for say our goodbyes because we've we've gone over time already, <laughs> and um, and as a country, we've definitely gone over time talking about this election, both before and after now. It's true, and um, if you have um, the energy uh, for for more of the same, and maybe we'll be truly be able to say that this is a, a left and right of Labour podcast. If Adam goes online to uh, join.labour.org.uk and joins the party, I'd encourage everybody to do that. We've had a big old I leap. I still see myself spiritually as a member, you know, even uh, even despite my changes. We've had a big old leap of about twenty five thousand. Uh, since the election have joined and I'm not saying where they're coming from or what their political background is but I think it's a, a lot of just a lot of people thinking shit we've really got to do this 
I ne- I've nearly joined already, but I was put off by the um, the reasons like why are you joining to support Jeremy Corbyn in the drop down and some various other things, and I was like, well, definitely just take not. It, just take it out. That's exactly <laughs> what you're there to do. What and then piss yourself laughing. <laughs> The uh, well, if you yeah, if you really do want more of this, do uh, keep coming to uh, thatoption.co.uk. Follow us on Twitter at thatoptionpod or on Facebook uh, thatoptionpod or search for that option. No longer exists. Email us. Email us your uh, new uh, Labour um, joining you uh, emails, and um, we'll I don't know send you a prize or something. Happy Winterval. Tell us Happy Winterval. It's sorry, Christmas. Uh Merry yes, uh Merry Christmas to all and to all. And happy Hanukkah. Good night. Oh.